from the Rose City in beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon, home of bikes, books, bridges, beards, food carts, startups, and indie coffee. Grab your dog, snatch your hammer and beer, leave your umbrella at home. Welcome to the Tiny House Podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Tiny House Podcast. This is Perry. Dot com. Dot com. My name is Perry. My name is Michelle. This is Mark. And we have a guest today. We're going to be talking with uh, Kent Griswold, who is the owner of Tiny House Blog. And um, But before that, I just want to say it's really good to be here today. And it's great that we have a guest. Yes. And we're going to have some really good fun, a really good fun conversation because Kent has been doing his thing going on, he, he said eight years in his thing, so I'm going to round it up to almost ten years. <laughs> and, oh, wow. uh, hey, Kent, Perry's been drinking heavily this morning already. And so. it wasn't coffee. And his, in, the first, in the first two years of, of his blog, he, he ended up doing it as a full-time job, this tiny house um, blog that he has. And he, he offers not only the blog content, but he also offers plans and um, uh, all kinds of stuff on his blog. I'm, I'm having a blank right now. I just looked at it today, and I can't remember what I saw. There was so much good stuff on there. Anyway, Kent's going to talk about some of that. But uh, without further ado, let's um, introduce Kent Griswold. Kent from Bend, Oregon. How are you doing? Yay! Yay! I'm really... I can, before, before we get started, <laughs> I, I have wow. to say I'm so excited because Kent and I have been emailing for a little over a year now, but we've never even talked on the phone. And even though this is just a Skype meeting, I want to say, hey, Kent, I'm very excited to... Uh, to meet you on Skype today, and hopefully uh, we'll also get to see you at the Jamboree, and uh, yay, I'm like one of your biggest fans. All right, well, thank you. Yes, the plan is to be at the Jamboree. I'm sorry I missed Portland, but had family obligations, so anyway, um, I'm sure we'll meet several times in the near future. I'm sure that's the case, too. So, Kent, let's get started, and tell us a little bit how you, speaking of getting started, tell us a little bit about how you got started. Well, um, initially, I was doing a lot of research on the internet, just um, bookmarking cabin sites, simple cabins. I've always wanted a cabin in the mountains somewhere, and um, that's I, I discovered Jay Schaefer, and there were like two or three other sites out on the internet eight years ago that were featuring tiny houses, but mainly discovering Jay Schaefer, and all of a sudden I got excited about that, and I thought, hey, a lot of these sites that I've been looking at could be tiny houses, and and so I, I decided, I also learned about blogging at that time. Um, WordPress was kind of in its infancy. It was quite a challenge to set up. I had bought a course to actually learn how to do it because you have to connect with the database. And now it's done instantly. You can do it in about 10 seconds <laughs> on your hosting site. Got to love technology. It took several hours just to get set up. But anyway, I decided, hey, I've got all this information. Why don't I put it out there? I bought the domain Tiny House Blog just because hey, it was going to be about tiny houses, and it was a blog. Branding <laughs> <laughs> magic. Yeah, so, not a whole lot of thought went into it. But um, <laughs> anyway, I, I started posting kind of randomly. This was just a hobby, uh, a distraction. I was in a job that wasn't a good fit, and I thought, 
I wasn't really thinking this would turn into a job, but I, it was a distraction. And um, then all of a sudden, I I had learned about being able to follow traffic and stuff. And all of a sudden, I discovered I had 100 or 200 people reading my posts. <laughs> and I thought, whoa, I better take this a little more seriously. So instead of publishing once every week or, or a couple times a week at the most, I started to do it more regularly. And... Um, Eventually got to where I was publishing seven days a week. I, I was probably a year or so into it before I started doing that. But um, it just continued to grow, the interest out there. And at that time, I was mainly just highlighting different companies that built these different types of structures. And, and I like variety. So my goal was to show every type of structure um whether it was cob or straw bale or standard stick belt, whatever I found, I wanted to show it. And I did that probably the first couple of years before before people started building their own homes and then contacting me and wanting to share their story. And then I kind of switched the focus of the blog to be more people's stories and use the different types of construction as filler info so mm-hmm. that's kind of a kind of it in a nutshell interesting and how many how many people visit your blog a month like in a I, month? I get about um 500,000 wow. a month visitors that's great unique visitors wow. that's huge and that's from so, all around the world yes mm-hmm. the bulk is in North America but there there's a f- large following in Australia and Europe has grown considerably there's been a big following in the UK but Germany and and Norway and Sweden the the northern countries have um, developed quite an interest and then Australia and New Zealand there's quite a big following down there and they've actually st- started developing some of their own local tiny house um, communities more down there in the last couple of years. So how would you how would you characterize, you've been around for a long time with it, pretty much near the beginning of this thing, Kent. How would you characterize the tiny house community? Um, <laughs> <laughs> wow, Kent, that was amazing. <laughs> you Sorry. sounded just like Michelle. <laughs> Sorry. Since Michelle Sorry. jumped in there right now. <laughs> About half of my followers are women, and they're 50 and over. Mm. Oh, um, interesting. The other big demographic is the millennials, the, the college age, early 20s, um, and um, the reason that I see those demographics is the older women want something secure or possibly a place they can they can park a home that they can call their own on their children's property or have their own place is kind of the feeling I get from it. The millennials have seen their parents overspend. Um, I worked in the mortgage industry for almost 14 years in the IT department. Um, doing the back end 
and I was in it during the big refi boom. And, um, so, you know, they were handing out loans to anybody who would sign yeah. their name to it. And yeah. people got themselves into trouble. And I think this younger generation is seeing, um, saying, I don't want to do what my parents did. I don't want to lose my house. I want something I can buy now or at least pay off within a few years and then maybe move up from there when the time is right or, you know, but, but keep things simpler. Um, in the past, um, we had to have stereos and big TVs and stuff. And now, um, most of these millennials, you can have everything on your phone or on a laptop PC, all your entertainment and stuff. And, and so they look at things totally different. So small makes sense. Um, so that's that's where I see the bulk of the people. Mm-hmm. So how do you um, how would you reply to someone to people that say that the tiny house movement is a fad? Um, it's just kind of the latest thing. You've been in it a long time. You you've seen the changes that have happened even in the last year or so. It seems to have really taken on almost a life of its own. Um, well, well, how do you respond to the fad comments? Um. Well, I think we've proven to this point. I mean, it's been really 10 years since Jay first started, and he, he kind of made it, made the this new modern tiny house movement aware out there, and it hasn't died. It's exploded. I mean, I think the last year, a lot of these big networks picking up on it, they see it more as a, a fad, a gimmick, to get people to watch their programs. But I think, in general, it's something that's here to stay. Um, that's the same. There's still a lot of hurdles to follow. Most most people living tiny in tiny houses are still doing it illegally in most places, mm-hmm. um, and that's part of the the mentality of those who are doing it because they're willing to take the risk and step out there, and hopefully, eventually, it will become more accepted and I I know people are working there's that hasn't I'm not a political person I don't deal with legalities and stuff like that I that hasn't been my cup of tea my my goal has been just to let people know what's going on and share people's stories um See. <laughs> but, so anyway. do you do you do you create original content for your blog, or do you um, take people's stories and and just post them online, or both, or both? Um, originally, I was trying to take people's stories and write them up myself, and then then a light bulb went off in my mind. Saying, hey, <laughs> I don't have to do this. <laughs> why am I trying to write your story? I don't, I don't know what's going on. So I toss it. If people, the way I did it, people were. Initially, they were sending me info or sending me to a blog or something, and I'd go and try to filter through it and put together a blog post. But then I thought, hey, you guys know your story better than I do. Write it down for me. It doesn't have to be perfect. I'll edit it. I'll make it work for the blog post. But you tell me your story and in your words, and that's pretty much the way I've gone with it the last several years. Um, every now and then you'll get somebody who won't do it, and so I'll I'll try to put something together. But I like sharing people's stories in their words. 
and I think my readers like that better than me trying to summarize it. Um, I've never considered myself a writer in, in school and college. I never did well because I write short and to the point, which happens to work great on the internet and in <laughs> blogs. But um, it didn't work well in college where they want you to write pages and pages. Right. So um, I'm good at putting things in a nut, you know, a few paragraphs um, and letting the pictures do the talking. That That's one thing the tiny house blog has been known for is the photos. And, and there's been a lot of copycat sense um, who have taken the same idea. And, and as we know, just by what's popular out there in the social networks, I mean, Pinterest, Instagram, Facebook, it's photos, what people are interested in. Yeah. So, right. Hey Kent. What? So Kent, what is what is a, a what is the the weirdest um, <laughs> submission that you've gotten from someone that you wanted to publish but didn't think it would be a good idea? Good question. Um, I don't think I've ever said no to a post. Wow. I've gotten some backlash from my readers for stuff I post. <laughs> I remember an article in February. <laughs> um, I have posted. Shacks, um, you know, um, what people most people would consider a shack that somebody is living in, or a bus that is, you know, hippieized completely. Um, And yes, people, it's interesting that the opinions that are in the tiny house. Some people are very narrow-minded. They they have their opinions, and uh, you can't post a luxurious house or a shack. It's got to be right in their <laughs> comfort zone. Points. And and my rule has always been: I want to show every angle of the tiny house movement, and it can be a hundred thousand dollar tiny house. It can be a hundred dollar tiny house, um, and anything in between, and built from anything. Um, I've featured basically a cave out here in the Wallows that one guy has lived in um, and pedaled into town on his bike. It's basically a cave in the ground that he's made into a comfortable home. Um, And then there's the other end where you have these luxurious floating homes or whatever. Have you developed your own... um, Do you have a favorite type? Um, Because you've done so much research, you've reached out into the, the netherlands of, of, of tiny house kingdoms. Um, do you have a uh, do you have a favorite straw bell, tiny house on wheels, cottage style? Do you have a favorite style? Uh, my first blog post is my favorite and I featured it on and off almost every year, at least once or twice a year, um, is a log style home. And Montana Mobile Cabins was the first blog post I did. And um, and we have a continued relationship. They keep me posted with what they're up to and stuff. And I will occasionally do a series or whatever of theirs. And they're they're not ones that are on wheels, but they they're they can be moved with a on a semi trailer or whatever, and put in a permanent place. Um, logs are really too heavy for. Tiny houses on wheels. Yeah. 
um, which a lot of people are fairly narrow-minded and consider those are the real tiny houses. Um, I disagree. Um, I, I think tiny houses cover RVs, um, and I have no problem presenting those occasionally. It's another way of living small. Mm-hmm. Um, also, part of my philosophy, and people get after me, I'm not living in a tiny house. Um, my family situation has not worked to do that up to this point. I'm hoping eventually to live in a tiny or a small home. I think for most people, a small home is more realistic than a tiny, unless you're single or very compatible with your partner. (laughs) (laughs) Most people can't live in 150 square feet. Yeah. Um, And I think, and I, I did a feature for a long time, and I'm wanting to bring it back on what I consider small homes, which are like from 400 square feet to 1,100 square feet or so. Um, They're more realistic for anyone with a family or anyone with hobbies or who work at home um, living in that situation. And, And another end of that, which I preach when people get after me for not living small, is I say I live the tiny house mentality. I've paid off my debts. I live within my means. I have a job that I love. I can take it anywhere. I can work anywhere in the world mm-hmm. um, as long as I have internet connection and I've been able to be successful with it now for six years full time. And but, you chose um, Bend, anyway, Oregon. Um, yeah, take that. Yeah. So, so there's more to tiny houses than just the physical tiny house that. Michelle, you're building right now. Uh-huh. That's a big piece of it, but it's just part of the pie. Right. Um, Kent, why did my, you? In my humble opinion. Yeah. Why, why, why did you move to Bend? Why did we move to Bend yeah. or when? Why? We were in a unique situation in Northern California. We, we lived on out on 360 acres surrounded by the Russian River on in a boarding school situation. You lived in a boarding school? It it was a boarding school, but we were living on the housing. They had extra housing there, but we were just renting. Hmm. My wife is a teacher and has taught for 30 years. And um, anyway, the, the school started growing again and they needed the home. And we, we had been there for 17 years, oh, wow. and I hadn't really paid that much attention to the cost of living around me. <laughs> and we said, this is crazy. We couldn't find anything uh, that we considered reasonable. And I've always liked the Bend area. I went, I went to school in Walla Walla, and my grandparents lived up in the Okanagan Valley, and we used to travel up 97 when I was a teenager. So I remember Bend when it was a little tiny uh, mill town. And, um, but I, I also grew up in Prescott, Arizona, which is very similar as far as the elevation and climate Mm -hmm. to Bend. And it just was an area I've always wanted to live in. And my business had gotten to a point a couple years ago that my wife was able to, 
um, close retire early. And um, so we had the opportunity to move anywhere we wanted. And our, our daughter lives in Portland. She's an oh, wow. occupational therapist. And we decided, well, this would be close to her. Most of the rest of the family is still down in Northern California. But um, so we said, let's let's try out Bend, and that's what we're doing right now. We're we we're giving it a couple of years, seeing if I mean we're not we're not as young as we used to be. I fe- I wish I'd lived here twenty years ago when my body was a little more active. <laughs> but but we're enjoying the outdoor activities. We're we're within walking distance of the Deschutes River. Um, You're posting some amazing, really, really cool pictures. Make the rest of the world want to live there. <laughs> you, you, you may be uh, you may be singly responsible for an uptick in the real estate prices <laughs> once, yeah, once you're all done. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I I was uh, I noticed I think uh, congratulations are in order. You finally you got what what is it Tiny House Magazine number thirty? It's coming out. Next week, yes. Nice. Yay! Well, congratulations. And how, how does that work? Is it, a, is it a printed publication or a PDF? No, I can't afford to do a printed publication. Originally, um, I, I'm always, I'm out on the internet always looking for new ideas. And I discovered this guy called Ed Dale down in Australia who had this idea for um, magazines or e-magazines, um, Apple just introduced the newsstand on on their site, and he created the software that made it easy for the average person to to make an app and um, put out a magazine. And I thought, wow, I have a graphics background. Let's. T- this is a whole another way we could get the word out about the tiny houses. And so initially I started it out in the newsstand and for the first 10 or 12 issues, that's the only place it was available. But then I, I kept having people saying, oh, I don't have a Mac or an Apple device. I can't get it. Can you make it available as a PDF? And so I finally moved over to that. Actually, a PDF was part of the, the process of getting it into the app. And I had to figure out a way to do it. And so I made it available as a PDF. Right now it's available. I also have it available for Android devices through the Google Store. And I'm in the process of getting it in the Kindle market. I've got about five of the issues done there. It's an ongoing project. But I'm trying to make it available everywhere. And, And... and then with the PDF, I had a, I could not find an easy way to do a subscription thing, and I've just been able to do that in the last six months. So now people can have a PDF subscription also and not depend on trying to get back there every month to get it. Um, so it's an e-magazine. I have checked into print magazines, but so far the cheapest I can find to do that would be, it'd be about $20 an issue, and oh, I don't wow. think people are willing to pay that. Yeah, and plus the the manpower to make it happen in the background would cost way more than I'm making with it. Right. So, yeah, that makes sense. There's, I mean, you might as well keep it digital. I but it, it, it it's fun. I enjoy it. Um, I have 
couple of good helpers and some regular riders and always looking for more. But anyway, it's it's an extension. It, it became successful because I had a good following on the Tiny House blog. Right, I, right. I cut people to share it with. Yeah. Right. I have a so. qu- question for you. Kind of, you know, you, you've been you probably put out more content on tiny houses than any other person in the world, I would think. Uh, so you, you've seen a lot allowing you to see just a little bit into the future. So what do you think, you know, with all the people that are listening to this that are tiny house fans and or living in tiny houses already, but what do you think that the kind of short term future holds for tiny houses as far as some of the changes that are coming right around the corner? I think in the next few years, what we're going to see it become acceptable. I think co- codes will adjust or they'll, they'll make a special coding. I mean, we're seeing ADUs being accepted in more and more cities, which are smaller houses built on the same lot as somebody who owns a home. And I think that's the first step. Um, we're seeing cities like Portland. Portland's been very aggressive um, in allowing people to do it, they they just say no. Um, at least with a couple of people I've dealt with, they who have tried to do everything legally in that city, they've they've been told basically to do it. Just make sure the neighbors are fine with it, and everybody around you is fine with it. We won't say yes or no. Just and they basically have given them an underhanded permission. But I think eventually. And I think Portland will probably be a leader in that. Portland and maybe Seattle will actually make it an acceptable thing to do. And then I think once it started in a couple of cities like that, it'll be it will go national. What do you see going on in Seattle, Kent? Well, just there's a lot of activity up there mm-hmm. with yeah. the tiny houses and. And a lot of visibility. There's been a lot of publicity, and and I I just think they're open to the idea too, very much like Portland is. They're just checking everything out, and I think they'll make it happen. There's a couple of cities in Northern California who are more open to the idea, and I know with Jay Schaefer and some of the others down there, at least nudging it along. Um, I think things will happen eventually, but I don't think it's, I mean, it's been eight years since it's, well, it didn't really take off. Those first couple of years, it was just kind of, maybe, you know, kind of taken as a fad. Um, but it's proven that it's not a fad, and it, I only see it growing and, and eventually becoming acceptable and legal. Um it's just how long it's going to take it. Right. You know, yeah, Seattle, Seattle appears to be just about two clicks, I think, probably behind Portland. I have some very, very close friends um, in the tiny house community up in the Seattle area. And um, both Seattle and Australia, um, well, Australia to a greater degree, of course, um, but their real estate pricing, they, you know, they're all predicting another bubble is going to burst up there. I mean, their rentals the rental rates are just, you know, increasing exponentially. And um, so, the, yeah, they're just right behind Portland as far as establishing tiny house communities and so forth and has some friends that are really active up there. It's a fun, it's a fun group to watch and to follow. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and if the bubble happens, there's somebody here at the office just the other day, new to Portland over the last couple of months. They've made five offers on homes. The last one was $65,000 over the asking price. Wow. And they've lost every offer. Now, the 65000 over asking, obviously, they undervalued it to purposely get people excited about it. But uh-huh. the idea that that's happening with pricing right now. You know, yeah, and I know here here in Bend, it, it's a it's a huge boon. I mean, they're just building right and left, wow. and yet um, my wife and I ride our bikes quite a bit in the area we live in, and there's just there's loads of houses for sale. You can't find rentals. Um, we almost didn't move up here because we couldn't find a place, and then something that wasn't advertised. We made a connection with somebody, and they let us know about something that never got put out there and we were able to nail it but um you'd have 10 people ahead of you and it's first come first serve and then the prices you know just keep going up one thing i like about oregon is you do have a wide range of pricing if you're willing to you know get something a fixer upper or something or or something a little out of the elite part of town um (laughs) So you know all you know um, intimately um, all the movers and the shakers in the in the tiny house world, um, the Jay Schaefers and the D Williams and the uh, Alex Peter. I mean, you know everybody. Um, any fun stories about someone else you're just dying to tell the world? <laughs> well, um, like I said, I was the first one who started blogging, and um, Michael Jansen started Tiny House Design. About a year after, or 11 months or a year after I started, and I thought he was duplicating my site, and so I contacted him. He had started a couple other blogs. He was building a house out of, um, oh shoot, just drawing a blank, <laughs> scrap wood basically, and, and then this extreme tiny house, and so I was plugging him on my blog, and then all of a sudden he's copied my site and so I contacted him and said hey what's going on here and um, anyway he, he's the one who first shared with me the community idea of helping each other out on the internet not just um, you know by us both doing it and sharing pointing to each other and helping each other out um, we would both grow and it would grow and, and it's so true, and I took that philosophy and have helped several others. Um, Alex Pino was one. He's, he's, got a, he's got his own style. I can't, don't always agree with the way he does things, but um, he's probably got the most traffic of anybody just because he just throws stuff right and left out there. I don't know where he comes up with or, or has the energy to do it. Of course, he's about... 30 years younger than I <laughs> That might have something to do with it. Um, but um, but my, the funny thing with Michael is we've become what I consider best friends. He's he's my tech support guy. He does professionally. He's a, a web guy for Wells Fargo. And, um, and he has all these contacts through his work there that we often get some you know, learn about what's going on in Facebook or, or Google or some of these others because he goes to these high-end meetings and stuff. And, and we share stuff. We, we have kind of our own little network. Another one I 
who has really done well is Stephen Harrell and with Tiny House Listing and his swoons. And I had tried doing a listing and several other people had, and we just didn't get it. And um, he knew what he was doing. He, he, I could tell he had a winning thing there. And so I, I put a lot of effort into promoting him. And now he's doing much better than I am financially, but hey, that's a good thing. And, and we have our, our get-togethers. We get to, one thing about working at home is you don't have the, the corporate environment where you, you know, bounce ideas off each other. And, and so thankfully there's Skype and Hangouts and stuff, and we're able to do it around the country and to inspire each other and get fresh ideas and, and for getting the word out. I mean, that's mainly as we as bloggers is trying to spread the idea of the tiny house movement. And I think we've been fairly successful. <laughs> Half a million unique visitors. I think I think that's just the numbers speak for themselves. Yeah. Um, tiny house blog has definitely helped me um, to be able to not only launch my blog, which was which is sort of the the back end of just collecting sponsors. Um, as you know, my my tiny house build is heavily sponsored. So, uh, do you have any favorite sponsors or advertisers or? Or stories about, um, I mean, did they come to you? Did they see your numbers and see the popularity and just flock to your inbox? Or um, how much work no, did you have to do uh, to, to sort of gather your sponsors with, and advertisers? Um, with, with my blog, um, when I started, I Google AdSense came out, and that's Google's advertising niche. And I... I had learned about them, and I just immediately signed up with them. And um, the bulk of my advertising income comes from them and a couple other ad networks. That, And as you grow, it grows too, and you become more attractive to other advertisers. Um, I do have people approach me. But most of my sales are done on an affiliate basis where I get a percentage of what I promote. Mm -hmm. And so that's where the bulk of the advertising goes there. It's hard to um, charge people if you compare it with Google and stuff. It, it doesn't work that way. And with you building a house, you're looking at sponsors who will probably sponsor a certain type of thing that goes into your house versus a blog um, you're charging a monthly fee for advertising etc mm -hmm. um, so the affiliate which is where you get at a percentage is more of a win-win for both because if I am successful marketing them they make money I make money and mm -hmm. um, so it's kind of a different philosophy that way versus the sponsorship um, I know Andrew Odom has done very well with the sponsorships and all but personally I haven't dealt with it that much um, other than promoting a product or two on the blog I will have people send me a product and say hey would you promote this instead of paying me something they'll actually give me the product I've gotten solar panels that way 
um, a couple of heaters and things like that where I try them out and show them. And um, that way you're sharing firsthand. Book reviews are also another way of doing that. So I've got a ton of tiny house books and a lot of them <laughs> people send to me. So I'll share them on the blog. Um, so yeah, you and funny. you and Andrew Odom were both, um, you know, really instrumental in, in getting my project started. Andrew Odom um, published the book, uh, the ebook called "Your Message Here." I was uh, right. snowed in and, and read his book, and that was the aha moment that I needed to to move forward with my sponsorship relationship. And Tiny House Blog and Kent, of course, thank you, has been really supportive and in posting my articles and. Um, yeah, you both of you have been really instrumental in, in helping me get sponsors, and, and I personally want to thank you for that. I want to thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome, and send me your story. I've been seeing bits and pieces. The thing is now, I, I feel, I used to be able to be on top of what was going on, and now it's easy to feel disconnected. There's kind of a whole new group of people out there, and... I still know the initial core group, uh-huh. but there's been a whole new range of other people that I may get contact with or, or all, but I don't get all the stories I used to, and I, there's tons of them. I, I feel I can't keep up with everything at times, and I do the best I can. I, I made some rules early on as far as the blog. I only post one post a day, or people like Alex, he'll post five or ten if he feels like it. Right. Um, there's such a thing as information overload, and, and so I've limited my post to one a day and things like that. So I only have seven posts a week or whatever. Um, but So you can't keep up with everything. And with the social media and all, there's just so much going on that you really need to follow in these different places. You need to be on Facebook. You need to be, you know, everywhere to keep up with what's going on. But as far as reporting it all, you can't, one person can't do that. Right. So it's great to see new faces out there. It's neat to see people like um, Tiny House Giant Journey. I think they're doing a huge publicity thing by making this journey and, and showing their beautiful home all across the country and and do, doing so well at promote at showing it with the videos with the photographs um, and their stories their blog and that's just one example so so can one la- one last question we had sure. talked we had talked earlier about um, the the housing market in Portland and Bend and Seattle and and the fact that housing seems to be on fire in many different locations and then you have this the tiny house communities basically um, stratifying the population with the millennials and then the peop- the women over 50. I originally thought in some idealistic way that the tiny house movement was going to actually change the way that people live in the world, and, and at least initially in America, where, where we'd see a scaling down of these McMansions and stuff. But in fact, what, what Mark and I, what Mark had told me last week is that the, the trend of houses getting bigger is actually returning. And so what do, you, what do you think the future is with regard to, this isn't the same question that Michelle asked, but with, with regard to the impact of tiny, the tiny house movement on mainstream society, do you see an impact coming? I think it, 
is probably the new en- entry level, um, and I think it's it's not going to reach everybody. It's going to reach people who are wanting to simplify their lives, wanting. Um, it, it's just it's always going to be a small niche. Um, it's not going to be a majority, but hopefully it will become a new a new ideal. I mean. It's interesting reading the comments um, and the different emails and stuff. And people, instead of dreaming about a big mansion, they're dreaming about a tiny house. It might be a fancier tiny house, but they, they, they can see it happening for themselves or they're making it happen for themselves because they can afford to do it themselves or know they can pay it off in a short time if they pay somebody else to do it. So... I don't think we're going to see the McMansions disappear. Uh, um, I know they certainly aren't around here. <laughs> and, um, but I, I think it's a new entry level and a new, just a whole new way of thinking. Okay, awesome. That, that, has, that will be acceptable to everyone. Yeah, got it. It won't be a novelty. It'll, it'll be, okay, this is another option. Yep. Okay, well, well, Ken Griswold, thank you so much for being with us today. We really appreciate you coming on and talking on Tiny House Podcast. You're welcome, and thank you for having me. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ken. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Tiny House Podcast. To find us online, go to tinyhousepodcast.com, where you will also find our show notes, if you remember to put them there. Our logo was designed by the amazing Carolyn Maine. Our website is hosted by the gang at Sitecast. Our theme music is by Oma Studio. Please go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating, or whatever. You tiny house-loving bastard. Tiny House Podcast is probably made in Portland, Oregon.